You're listening to Marks of a Healthy Church, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We've been going through a series now um, that's associated with the Nine Marks program, um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and (coughs) the last one that Andrew did that was so very helpful was um, expositional preaching. So looking at the Bible and taking out of it what is actually there and not making your own, uh, putting your own ideas in the text and then communicating those. And so we looked at all the different ways and, and yeah, okay. Okay, and then, yeah, so... No problem. Okay. And so, Andrew took us through expositional preaching and gave us lots of tips and, and ideas and just made us aware of that subject. And the series that I have is called Biblical Theology. Who's ever heard of Biblical Theology? A couple of us. Good. So, I... When I started into biblical theology, I probably had some um, introduction to it without actually having it defined and looking at it, you know, as, as its own uh, piece in the bigger picture of the life of faith and the church. So, uh, what I did is I titled our series, or this morning's lesson, Looking for the Forest in the Trees, because I think that when we miss biblical theology, that's what is effectually what we're doing. So, your first point, and the first point of our study this morning is that the Bible is a divinely inspired story, that it is one big story. And so what we're saying when we make that point is that the Bible is actually primarily a story. It is not a systematic, it's not a list of do's and don'ts, it's, um, you know, it's not a, a book about what Middle Eastern culture was. It has all of those components in them, but it is primarily, the full scope is that it's a book, a story, and that it's actually many books containing many different forms of literature. We have narrative. We have many songs in the Bible. We have poetry, wisdom, Gospels, which are essentially just testimonies, eyewitness accounts. We have the epistles, which are letters of instruction primarily, and we have the apocalyptic literature or revelation. So, with all those different genres put in one library, basically, library of books, we see and we recognize as a church that there are There is one overarching emphasis. There is one big point to this story. Um, We have in the Bible authors from over hundreds of years uh, representing several different cultures and time changes and from many different regions. And yet, the church continues to affirm that it is one story. It is the canon, we call it, the rule of faith. And that being 
pictured normally as a straight line. And uh, a cannon, we have to think about what this straight line is. And, and I would suggest that that straight line is that which points to Christ. And so everything that has been written down and, and kept um, and been uh, assembled into the canon in, in um, councils long ago, we, we look at them and we say, yes, they still belong there because they point to Christ. And so there's been lots of other books and literature and scripture that have been rejected because they don't necessarily point to Christ the way the books that we have included are. And so, that's why one of the reasons why we can engage with it as, as if it's one big story is because it has one main point. Like so many other stories that we read, so I don't see Greg here, but I know Greg uh, Dressler has read Moby Dick. I think if you asked him, is that a story about a man chasing a big whale? He would say, not really. But if we were to read it at face value, that's really all you would be reading about. Chronicles of Narnia. Is that really just a story about four kids and a lion? Not so much. And the Lord of the Rings. It's not just a story about the Hobbit and his friends and their great adventure, but the authors of these stories impregnated them with so much more meaning. They used allegory and types, and they introduce us to different concepts and different situations to kind of make us think and bring us somewhere else. And so when we read those books, those, those earthly literature, if we read them on a surface level, they can be great and entertaining and um, they can distract us from all the things of life, but we're missing what the author actually intended. And I would submit that that actually happens a lot when we approach Scripture. So point two is that it is entirely possible to miss the point of God's Word. If we read the Scriptures without submitting to the intention of the author, being the Holy Spirit, we will miss the point entirely. We can have all the respect, honor, and hold the Scriptures in high esteem, and we can read them as we should, as an authority on matters of life and faith. So we look to them and we submit to what they're saying. We don't come with our own ideas. And we, we actually submit to what the book says, but we can still fail to see what the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate to us. Okay, If we read it like a rule book, and we see all the little rules and we jot them down and we're really diligent and we, you know, tithe our mint and cumin, we can still miss the point. And in fact, that is what we have seen. The, the testimony of Scripture gives us examples in Jesus' day where He comes and the Pharisees, Nicodemus, and the disciples, they don't see who He is. Because they're looking at Scripture as something else, something that it isn't. So, John 5.39, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Search the Scriptures, 
for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so what he's kind of telling them is that you think it's what's in this book that is what gives you eternal life. And he's like telling them that you're so close, because essentially it is, but they were looking at it from the wrong perspective. And the Pharisees upheld the Scriptures as a supreme authority, being the very words of God, and they believed that in them was eternal life, and yet they missed it. So surely it would be possible for us to miss it as well. Um, so how do we find out exactly, you know, so I'm, I'm presenting that the Scriptures are about Christ, but how do we know for sure that that's the truth? What if I'm wrong? So, point number three is divine revelation. So we mentioned that the Pharisees, the disciples, and um, they, they missed the point of the Scriptures. And what's interesting about the disciples is they actually spent three years learning and walking with Christ Himself. So it's a problem that is obviously very easy to fall into. And then we see in Luke chapter 24, um, we see that Christ opens their minds to understand the Scripture that they saw who He truly was. And often when we read this, and it hasn't dawned on me until just recently how much this should shock us and, and, and just set the tone for how we approach um, theology and learning about God. So, we're going to spend some time reading Luke 24, um, verses 13 to 48, I think is what would be helpful to go through. If we could maybe get people to read like sections of maybe 10 verses. So, Luke 24, verse 13, who would like to read first, Pastor? So, just read to 23. And then from 23 on, Andrew, 33, and then 33 to 43, Eric, and then maybe I'll just read 44 to 48. Ready? Yes. Luke 24, 13, and behold, two of them were the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. For their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What thing? This just made me laugh. Hmm. Um, sorry. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day 
since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early in the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they also they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. Okay. Andrew? And certain, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them. Saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he had said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hand and my feet, that is, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And they took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Amen. And this scripture truly does, this portion of scripture truly does set the tone for how we should look at scripture, otherwise we're going to miss it. Notice how the disciples were sad as they walked along the road. They were sad because they didn't see Christ like He's been expressed in the Scriptures. If they would have believed the Scriptures, Jesus says, they would have been happy and known what Christ's work had accomplished. From the Pentateuch to the Psalms to the Prophets, it's all about Christ, including the earliest parts of Genesis 
the most foreign parts of Leviticus and the rawest portions of poetry in the Psalms and songs, even the most obscure visions of Ezekiel. We can include the Gospels themselves. They seem a little bit more obvious. But all the way to the Revelation of John is all these books that are included in what we call canon and are the books that point to Christ. I mentioned already, the Bible literally means the books. So it's all of them that do this together. We can't drop some, we can't change. That's why we're stuck with the canon, because they all do it together. And it is in their relation to each other that they form the larger and more clear picture of Christ the God-man. So, before we had the entire canon, we had bits and pieces and portions of it. And, and it's interesting because the story is often the same pattern repeated over and over and over again. If you go out and get one of the tracks we have, um, I think it's called The Big Story or something on the cover, and it's creation, fall, redemption, um, consummation. Yeah, and that's the story. And that's the story we have over and over again in Scripture. So even in the very beginning, if all you had were the books of Moses, I mean, that's why David the psalmist can say that he meditates on it day and night, and that's his everything. And, and Because it contained Christ. It contained the picture of Christ, even though it wasn't full and finished. And point B... We are witnesses. We see at the very end, in the verses I included in, I think I included them in the handout, um, we see that the purpose of Scripture revealing all of these truths is, yes, to reveal the Messiah, but then the effect of that is to call us to participate in the spreading of this gospel, to be witnesses, which is, in Greek, the word martyr, where we get the word martyr. And so this participation includes fellowship with God and His church. A fellowship with God because it is His gospel and His adoption that we receive through the believing of these things. And a fellowship with His church because it is His church that we have that common belief with. It's a call to a life of holiness and worship. Um... We can see that in biblical theology when we look throughout the scriptures that God is holy, 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 holy. That is the, the one thing that is said about God to the third degree, right? Not love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. All of those things would be assumed in his holiness. And so that is what we are called to. And we are called to worship Him because of the truths that we see in Scripture. And ultimately, what that looks like is a call to bear your own cross. It's not by accident that witnesses means martyr. I mean, that is the point of it, to be a witness. It's to live a life of dying to yourself so that he who loses his life might gain it. So, with, with that perspective, um, 
that we should look at Christ, sort of understanding the foundation of biblical theology. Um, I can say there's at least two points in the church life um, that uh, I listed here on the page that um, it, it would be a safeguard for the church. And so when I was thinking about biblical theology and what it does for us, I was thinking about the time I went bowling just a couple months ago. We went with some friends here from the church, and um, there was definitely some throws that I wished we had those bumpers up. Because it's, it's embarrassing to not have that help. And I think a good biblical theology, so approaching the Scripture um, with the understanding the intention that they reveal Christ, um, I think that's like those bumpers. It won't necessarily guarantee that you get a strike, but it'll keep you out of the gutter, bar some crazy stuff that you might do at a bowling alley. So if you get it in the lane, the bumpers are going to help you get to the end. And um, I see that is often, or I see that error is often the result of ignoring or having a poor biblical theology. So I I thought up some different examples of churches in our culture that um, that have maybe some. Uh, some poor biblical theology. Number one would be the prosperity gospel. They would say that God wants us to be prosperous. And I want some interaction here. God wants us to be prosperous. What's wrong with that? Paul? Well, there's really nothing wrong with it in the sense of the, the word to prosper, <coughs> but it's our interpretation of prospering that they, they fall away. Their prospering is what they want. They want uh, health and wealth, and and really what God is giving us is an inner peace. He's giving. Us. We're prospering in the inner man uh, to 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 grow in Christ and to you know to look to Christ for all things, and 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 you know so for the verses that do talk about prospering. I mean that's yeah. uh, that's what we as believers know to be prospering, and, right? And they would interpret it prospering differently, right? They they see it as more of an earthly prospering, a short-sighted pro- prospering, and really their prosperity almost just uses Christ yeah. to accomplish the greater means of the health, wealth, and wisdom. Andrew, yeah, I think I think just what what Paul's uh, what Paul said there is um, when, when we have a proper understanding of biblical theology and prosperity, and when we understand that properly, we are to be made low and Christ is to be magnified, right? From their perspective, they are to be made high with, with uh, worldly riches and uh, recognition and health and, and mm-hmm. health and everything. Uh, and, and Christ is very much just kind of metered over in, in that sense, right? Um, yeah. Think about when your perspective is, and I think we're all probably guilty of this one, when we are focusing too much on worldly things, Christ is not magnified in any way, right? He's not the clear vision, he's not the clear idea that we are striving for. Right. Um, it's very difficult to see that. Absolutely. Christ becomes a means to the end. Yeah, and right. not the end. Exactly. And that's the problem. For sure. And, and so it's... Prosperity gospel, emphasizing on the, the prosperity end of it and not emphasizing on Christ, we develop an imbalance. The social justice gospel, 
God wants everything to be fair. That one's maybe a little bit harder to uh, attack. But we see that God doesn't create everything fair. And God says He's going to make everything right. And I think when we think about fairness, what we often miss um, is that if we got what was fair, if we didn't get mercy and grace, then we wouldn't be in good shape. And so the, prosper, or the social justice gospel misses mercy and grace. You know, Dan, I often think of that verse where Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Right. You know, he didn't intend um, for the poor to not be with us once the gospel took hold. Um, um, they were going to be with us, and we were to respond properly to right. all, yeah. all the people. Poverty is an opportunity for being the martyr. Dying to yourself, yeah. Yeah, the, Psalm 1 compares a, a good man that follows his ways and delights in the Lord, that is a tree growing at the riverside. Mm-hmm. His fruit is pure and his leaves are green and he will be blessed and he delights in his law. Mm-hmm. That he blesses them, not so for the wicked. He will be blown like child. In the right. Earth. There's definitely two sides that we can be on. <clears throat> That's right. The Patriot Gospel. This is a Christian nation, and we just need to take back the capital and make our country a great godly nation again. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I plan to offend and step on everybody's toes, yes. The Patriot Gospel. Where's the imbalance there? There's another kingdom. It's Christ's kingdom. And right. we completely miss that. that. That's the kingdom that will last forever, and the rest will fall to the wayside. Amen. Amen. And I think that's what the disciples were sad about, right? They wanted the Patriot Kingdom, the Patriot Gospel. The Soup Kitchen Gospel. This one gets you right in the feels. We just need to relieve the sufferings of the least in our communities. I think Paul touched a little bit on this earlier. But what's wrong with the Soup Kitchen Gospel? Where really the priority of the church is just to go... And, and minister to the the ones that have none. Well, as if they die with a full stomach and they don't have Christ. That's right. They, they Suffering, go to hell with a full belly. That's right. Christ. first and then food. Yeah. We're, we're together. But. Together. Yeah. For sure. But a lot of people, they go into these countries and they, and they just feed the people. Yeah. They don't give them the gospel. Right. And and we see it's an imbalance, yeah. right? Because it doesn't um, it doesn't minister to their most pressing need. Well, <laughs> Even non Christians would do that. Yeah, right. yeah. So that I mean, why have a Bible then? Just go out and and give money away, build wells, whatever. Yep. The thing with all of these, like people would say, faith without works is dead, and so mm-hmm. they say. You know, in the patriot, in the in the well, health and wealth, in, in in this last one, they're saying that these are the good works that that God calls them to do, and they pull them from the text. You know, and then yep. they see the easy believers, maybe, who don't do anything, and they say, "Well, we're working, we're doing, mm-hmm. we're doing the thing that God wants." Mm-hmm. So we're we're trying to work with the government, and we're trying to. So there there is that. 
you know what what is works and that and that's what it comes down to right all these people are doing something <coughs> and they say they have faith so then they see themselves as having faith and works so. that's right and i think that yeah i think i agree with james <laughs> a faith without works is dead and we need to have works and to to prove our faith not to god but to the people around us um but what I'm talking about really specifically is when it becomes imbalanced, yeah. right? And, and that's where the real issue is. Yeah. Does God want us to be prosperous? I, I think he does. Does God want things to be fair? In a sense, how we understand that word. Um, you know, does God want the nation to return in repentance to him? Yes. But it's when we find our Christ in those things that we've made the error. And the last one, the immorality-affirming gospel. As long as we love Jesus, what does it matter what we do in private? Called to holiness. We are called to holiness. And God has determined in nature and in Scripture what things are appropriate. And so even though the Bible is not to be read as a list of rules, it does have rules. It's part of it. So, with the emphasis of Christ, our crucified King, at the center of our theology, it will be difficult to miss the point. It will help us from missing the point. So finally, we'll get to biblical theology defined. Biblical theology is the attempt to tell the whole story of the whole Bible as Christian scripture. It is a story. Therefore, that has an authoritative and normative claim on our lives because it's a story of God's glory in salvation through judgment. So I didn't write that definition. I forgot to include the, the source, but it was from, uh, uh, it wasn't actually in the book that we were given as a syllabus, but it was uh, in the further reading material. I thought it was a very, very good comprehensive de- definition. Um, it's included on the page, so I won't read it again, but. I will go through it um, piece by piece. The first part here, we, re- we see that it's a telling. It goes back to our theme of witness. Biblical theology is an attempt to tell the whole story. So, basically, we can't separate our repeating of this idea. It, it, the point of biblical theology and the Bible and all of that isn't to just fill our heads. There, there must be a communication of these truths. Here, we also see the theme of whole. It's the whole story and the whole Bible. So we can't have our Jefferson Bible and cut it all up and just pick and choose. And notice how the definition uh, refers to the Bible as Christian Scripture. It's not Jewish Scripture. It, it doesn't primarily want to tell us about an ancient Semitic people. That's just a portion of the bigger story. It is not primarily for historical purposes. It tells us about lots of things that happened in history, but it left out a tremendous amount of things in history. Why did it include some details and not others? Like there were massive, massive things. I mean, 
that are just totally ignored in Scripture. Um, and it makes no apologies for that. It, it, scripture is moving in one direction and it's not going to be bogged down. The Holy Spirit um, knows what He was doing when He inspired the authors to include certain details of the story. Um, it is authoritative. And what I think we can understand by that word is that it's to be above criticism. We don't get to say, oh yeah, the Bible said that about such and such, but it doesn't really work in our culture anymore. Or I don't really think that's the way that it is. When the Bible speaks specifically about Christ, I think we need to recognize it as authoritative. Normative. It establishes our thoughts, our patterns, our worldview, our habits. Normative is is just that. It's something that gets into our bones. And, and that's what the Scriptures are meant to do. Um, and then finally, the primary focus is the last part of that definition, the glory of God. As seen in the salvation of God that He provides through His judgments. So we can see at the very beginning of Scripture that Adam was judged. And we see the emphasis of Scripture, Christ being judged in our place, seeing God as sovereign over these events, that He brought them to culmination, and He brought them to being revealed to us. He gives us a church, and He brings those very words to our ears and to our hearts, and that He is sovereign over that. So, biblical theology is for the church, all the church. We are called to study we are blessed when we do. Acts 17, 2-4, and 10-12. Somebody... you read, Pastor? Okay. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, with whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believe. Uh, and consorting with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Amen. So Paul, we see him reasoning with the people in the synagogue out of the Scriptures. It, it makes no mention of him talking about the experiences that he had on the road to Damascus and whatever it means when he spent three years in the desert or... He's, he's bringing them to the Scriptures to show them Christ. The Bereans, when they received this, they themselves said, hey, wait a minute, let's search the Scriptures and see. And that's what they did, and the Scripture says, therefore many believed. And so we see that searching the Scriptures to find Christ isn't just for the apostles and for leadership, 
but it's for all of us. Biblical theology is for all believers. And then thirdly, I wrote that our, our study should begin with prayer. I think that as a believer, it begins with prayer because that is our act of faith, our act of believing in God. It is us humbling ourselves, presenting ourselves before Him as the author of Scripture, and that He is the only one that we see from Luke, um, from our section in Luke, that He's the one that opened their minds and their understanding to the Scripture. Many, many theologians and scholars have spent their whole life poring over the Bible and totally missed it. And so we have to approach the Scriptures humbly. And I wrote also that biblical theology is our tradition. We have a tradition of believers, conversely, from the ones I just mentioned, that that have been faithful, and have been faithful at, at, at expositing Christ through every generation. And we ought to read their books and um, engage with them. And they they have insights that it might take you a, a lifetime to discover on your own, and you might never see them. So I think um, we're blessed when we we're blessed when we um, appreciate and and not pretend like we're the first people, you know, to ever read about Jesus or or try to live a life of faith. And then finally, biblical theology is for fellowship and joy. I got First John one one to four. I'll just read that one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I think again about the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how they were sad. Their joy was gone because the Christ that they had was taken away. But when Jesus opened up the Scriptures to them and they saw Him. They talked about how their hearts burned within them and they were joyful. So our fellowship with God is rooted in being a witness to Christ through the Scriptures. And our fellowship with other believers is rooted in our common witness. And this is what fills us with joy. So, how does this happen? Because it's us finally getting the full scope of the Gospel. As we see the God, God the Father, commissioning the Spirit to inspire the revelation of Christ in the Old Testament. So we see that happening first. Then we see Christ having come, revealing the true image of the Father. And then, Christ sending His Spirit to all those called out of the world by this revelation. A people we call the church. It's all connected. The church then participates in the Great Commission with the Revelation, the Bible, by the power of the Spirit, 
proclaiming the truth of all Christian scripture. And the church calls the whole world to recognize the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to recognize them in repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This has been the story. It's a story we've been made a part of. This is the beautiful truth of the Christian gospel, the glorious announcement of God's kingdom with Jesus set as ruler over all. And this is what the scriptures proclaim. So, he is the forest that the collection of trees are pointing to. If we take the trees out of the forest, it's no longer part of the forest and it has now become something else. Scripture is like this. An individual Bible story may make a wonderful piece of literature on its own, but when we remove it from its context or its purpose, it has become something else, something less than it was. That's our introduction to biblical theology. Next week, we hope to go through some of the, the sort of the timeline of the narrative in Scripture and work out how those different portions relate to each other.